And I'm looking forward to diving in more on this topic of persistence. Some of the most persistent people that I know are under the age of 10. Our daughter Canyon will be a year and a half old next month. And every day she amazes me. This, this last month she had a checkup that my husband Brad brought her to. And when, when they were waiting for the doctor to come in the room, she was playing behind the door, just with whatever they had on the wall. She was playing with the stuff. And when the doctor came in, keep in mind, my daughter's not even a year and a half old yet, right? The doctor opened up the door, and he looked at Brad like, where is she? And then he pointed to her behind the door, and the doctor peeked around and looked. And my kid, I, I kid you not, said, what's up? What's up to the doctor? I've never heard her say that before. Like, what What on earth? Oh, my goodness. I guess every parent tends to think that their kid is a genius up until the point that they eat dog food or, you know, other things that come from dogs. <clears throat> but one of the things that amazes me most about my daughter Canyon is her persistence. She... One of the things she's most persistent about is asking to get up on things. So she'll come up to you, and she'll put her arms up, and she'll say, up, up, up. And if you don't pick her up, it'll keep going. Up, up. And she almost, like, en enunciates it, like, better, right? Like, up, like, in case you didn't hear me, up, right? So she keeps saying it. And up has also become her word for down as well. So if you're holding her and she wants to get down, she'll start saying, up until you put her down. But anyway, her, her persistence is, it just kills me. She does the same thing with snacks, too, where she asks for more. She uses the baby sign language and says, more, more, more. Like, it kind of sounds like something from Finding Nemo, right? So she'll say it over and over and over again until she ideally gets what she wants, right? But I think it's funny because kids tend to have this way of teaching us important life lessons when we think we're the ones that are teaching them, right? Well, today, and today is a day that many Christian churches around the world celebrate as something referred to as Children's Sabbath. And while it's not something we mark on our calendars in the Nazarene church per se, it's still so fitting for our scripture passage from the lectionary this week. And I, you know, I believe, I, just as a side note, I believe that different denominations have things they can teach us about God and faith right? I love the Church of the Nazarene deeply. I love the theology. I love our history. I love the deep compassion we were founded on for those who struggle with addiction or who find themselves on the bottom of the class system. But even so, with my love and commitment to the Nazarene Church, I still believe that God can teach us a thing or two about loving people better from some of our brothers and sisters in different denominations and traditions. Are you with me? Yeah. So Children's Sabbath is one of those things that some denominations do. They choose to recognize as a desire to love children better. And the idea behind this day, behind Children's Sabbath, is to shed light on the needs of children, both locally and worldwide. So even if it's not on our official calendar, Today, I'm highlighting it because while studying the passage for this week, I found myself asking, I wonder, 
if Jesus was partly referring to a child's persistence when he instructed us to have a childlike faith. And this morning, we're going to be hearing about the actions that a woman took with the brave persistence of a child. So this morning's passage, we will find a woman who has found herself to be widowed. And a little background behind the world of the text that we're going to be diving into. In the ancient Near East, there were practices put into place to help care for someone who has experienced what this woman has. The Old Testament laws and God commanded the Israelites to not take advantage of the widowed or orphaned. Israelite farmers were instructed to leave some grain after harvesting so that the Levites, widows, orphans, and foreigners could glean from the leftovers in the fields to eat. The early church continued God's concern for women who found themselves in these situations. Women who were widowed found themselves fed. And we even see a story in Acts of a disciple named Dorcas sewing clothes for them. So this morning, as we continue on in the book of Luke, we're diving into chapter 18. So if you want to open up your Bibles with me, I would love that. So Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. And I will be reading from the Common English Bible. So Jesus has been teaching and performing miracles on his continued journey to Jerusalem. And Pastor Ben spoke last week on Jesus healing 10 people and the Samaritan being the one person who came back to Jesus to praise him for what he had done. The Samaritan, someone who was an outcast. And then Jesus continues on in scripture to tell the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is within them already and that they are image bearers of God's work in the world, of God's kingdom in the world. And then we arrive at our passage for this morning. The way that Jesus speaks suggests that he is speaking to a group of people who are already familiar with the Lord. They are familiar with his teachings. They know him. And even though they know him, they have found themselves in a community that is in need of some encouragement. So Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8 reads, Justice for the faithful. Jesus was telling them a parable about their need to pray continuously and not be discouraged. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him asking, give me justice in this case against my adversary. For a while he refused, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or respect people, but I will give this widow justice because she keeps bothering me. Otherwise, there will be no end to her coming here and embarrassing me. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give them justice quickly. But when the human one comes, will he find faithfulness on earth? This is the word of the Lord. 
So first I find myself thinking about the people that Jesus is telling this parable to, right? His audience. Why has he found this need to share this, this story to this group of people? We know that they already know the Lord, and the Greek tells us that in verse 1, the word discouraged, fleshed out, actually means that they had feelings of giving up. The initial joy of knowing the Lord has passed, and they are beginning to realize that this walking with the Lord where the rubber meets the road is not for the faint of heart. Being a disciple of Jesus is harder than it sounds. It's a way of life. It's not just a few good deeds. It's a way of life that flows in and out of all they do, and at times it is hard. Following Jesus rearranges our priorities. It rearranges our finances. It rearranges the way we view and experience the holidays. It rearranges how we spend our time and resources. And time is one of the most valuable resources, right? And for the early church, the world that surrounded them was pretty hostile. Hostile. For them, it was times a matter of life and death, speaking openly about why they choose to live the way they do and how God had changed their lives could at times be incredibly dangerous for them. And then we get to the parable that Jesus has shared with this group of people. As we read this passage, the next person we learn about is the judge. The judge. So what do we know about him? The text tells us that he neither feared the Lord or cared about people. The Greek tells us that not only does this judge not care about people, but he doesn't respect them either. The common English Bible version says respect, and NIV says does not care, but I think we get the point, right? As a result of his indifference, he's failing to care for the widow. It makes sense, right? If he doesn't care, then he's not going to do anything to help her, right? It's a parable, so it's short and sweet. So we're not given any more details than Jesus thinks are necessary. And in this parable, it would have been easy for the judge to not help the widow at all. There's no one to stand up for her. There's no one to defend her. The judge's consequences would be few for not helping her. And then there's the widow. What do we know about the widow? We know that she has lost her spouse, her life partner, and in their culture, really her security for well-being. Women who were widowed also often had children they had to think about providing for as well. And if you have children, you know it's one thing for you to learn how to go without or to struggle to get by at times, but it's another to make sure that you are providing well for your children, and to make sure you can feed and clothe them. So by coming to this judge, she's looking for a lifeline. Last week, as Pastor Ben brought the word, we talked about our adversaries, people who are not for us, people who are actively opposed to us. The word adversary is used again this week. We know that there is someone or a group of people that are actively opposed to the well-being of this woman. The widow likely does not have anyone in her close circle that is actively for her. She likely has a small amount of money, 
So to afford someone to speak for her in court probably wasn't an option. And, and socially, women were not even supposed to speak in court. And yet, in this parable, we see her doing it anyways. So for her to keep coming back to the judge was likely the reason it would have been pretty embarrassing for him, right? But it could have been embarrassing for the widowed woman as well because socially she shouldn't even be there in the first place. You can almost hear the strain in her voice as she asks the judge for justice one more time. Remember how in Matthew, Jesus told us to become like children in our faith? Or even just a few verses down in chapter 18 that we'll hear more about next week, Jesus tells a crowd that the kingdom of God belongs to people like the children surrounding him. This part of the parable kind of makes me think of long car rides with kids, if any of you have ever taken a long car ride with kids. There's a dreaded question none of us like to hear. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Their persistence can be kind of monotonous, but in this situation, the persistence of asking one more time paid off because ultimately the judge decides to throw in the towel and to give her what she is asking for just for his own peace of mind to not have to deal with her anymore, which is kind of ironic, right? The judge has the power to completely change someone's life for the better or to destroy it. And yet, this widow's persistence, someone who has no power, she has no leverage over this judge. Her persistence is what ultimately helps her out. And then Jesus moves to talking about God and us. The judge is contrasted to God. There's a relational statement here about God and the value that God places on us. God is actively for us, something that this judge was not. This judge was not for the widowed woman. Jesus is urging the people to be persistent in their prayers to a God that is for them and actually wants to hear from them. Jesus is telling the people that God is moved by their prayers and the compassion of God is infinitely more vast than a judge who could care less. And as I read this text, I could not help but wonder how much more anxious is God to give justice in the world than an unjust God that does not care about people? Do you believe that a holy heart can move the heart of God? That our prayers to God are vital to changing the world around us? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this text? Scripture tells us that Jesus was telling them this parable to accomplish two things. One, to encourage them to pray continuously. To pray continuously. And two, to not be discouraged. Discouragement can come in all seasons of life. We can get discouraged by someone's lack of care, like the widow could have been probably was with the judge. 
We can get discouraged in times when we least expect it. It can sometimes sneak up on us a little bit. We can get discouraged when we're not able to see much movement. Friends, I know it can be easy to get discouraged. I, <laughs> I follow a local news station on Facebook. I'm not sure if any of you do the same. You follow a couple of specific pages, and, and they'll give you highlights of what's going on in those groups. It'll let you know when something has been posted or something is happening. And so far, this news station that I follow, the only things that I have been given updates on and announcements is violence taking place in this community. I've read some of the comments on these news articles, and I just want to say, save yourself some time and don't do it. Just, just don't. Maybe just don't. Person after person throwing in their two cents on how horrible things are. And it's important to be aware of what's going on in our community, but let's make sure we're not adding to the problem, right? right? And I guess that's what Pastor Ben would say is more meddling than preaching there, so that's just my, my two cents. But it kind of makes me wish that they would highlight some of the amazing things, not just at Christmas time, right? Have you noticed that? On the news, Christmas time, you'll see cute polar bears and, I don't know, baby penguins being born and cute things, right? <laughs> but I would love to hear about the good things going on in the world throughout the year as well. And you know some of the places that I am always encouraged, though, that I can look to and always find encouragement? Church board meetings. Can I see a show of hands for any of our church board members that are here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so our church board meetings are such an incredible time. And anyone who has been on our church board can absolutely vouch for that. I have the privilege of being a part of them every month and get to hear how God is moving through each person represented on the board and the many lives that they impact through their leadership here. And I'm encouraged when I hear stories of how Christie's Sunday School class prays for each and every family in this church. And when I am the recipient of a handwritten card from them covering myself and my family in prayer and knowing that they're doing that for everyone else as well. That's encouragement. I'm encouraged when I pray that God would open my eyes to see how he is already moving or how he wants to move in this community. And then a meeting like the one I had with Garfield Elementary Social Worker this last month happened. Have you guys seen where Garfield Elementary is just off of Broadway, just, just down the road from us here? Well, recently there was a church email sent out. Uh, if you did not receive that, please talk to Pastor Ben or myself. We would love to make sure that you get these church email updates about once a month or so. But there was a ministry highlight from me in that email that shared about our new partnership with Garfield Elementary School just down the way. When I met with their social worker this last month, I was blown away by the amazing ways they are meeting the needs of their students and their students' families. Did you know that they have a large food pantry and clothing services for families? They have 25 students who are homeless this year and the largest concentration of refugee students on this side of Boise in their school, and they are actively taking steps to literally feed, clothe, and teach these children. Wow. Talk about going above and beyond as an educator. 
So I asked her how we can help. I asked the social worker how we can be a part of what God is already doing in their school. Garfield's leadership has a huge heart for this community, and I see God's fingerprints all over that. And one of the biggest ways that we can help is with transportation to and from events, as well as helping to provide funds for gasoline to give gas cards to families to go to and from school functions. In November, there are two Boise State home games, and all of the funds from your church board voted for this. All of the funds from both of these games are going to go towards Garfield to help with their transportation. If that's not encouragement, I don't know what is. This partnership came from a persistence of prayer. Prayer from myself, prayer from your lead pastor, Pastor Ben, and prayers from your church board to have eyes to see how we can love the community better, how we can love the families in this community better. Can you see how on this children's Sabbath, the scripture would be just so fitting with persistence. One of the marking characteristics of Christians is that we are a holy people that pray. We bring all things to the Lord, big and small, heavy and light. This is one of the characteristics of living a holy life. Would we be a people that persistently prays and refuses to give up? Would we believe that our prayers matter? Would we believe that God's heart responds to our hearts? And would we persistently bring all things to God, including the deep longings of our hearts for ourselves personally, for our families, for this church and the community around us? Be encouraged, church. God is for you. God is for the community of Boise, and God is for this church. So this morning, we are going to transition into a time of prayer. I'm going to invite the worship band up to the platform. And, and in this time of prayer that we are going to take, I want to invite you to pray for the ways that God is calling us to care for children locally and globally. How is God calling us to act both as a church collectively, but also individually? I came across some, some interesting information this week. So at our small groups that we have on the second and third Thursday of every month in the Hamilton's house, just a reminder, this Thursday, if you want to be there, we invite you to. But I came across some interesting information. We read through every week that we have small groups and and adaptation of the 22 small group questions that John and Charles Wesley used to read in their weekly gatherings. And they kind of had this uh, almost facetious name that was given to them. They started being called a holy club. And it was kind of like a, a mocking thing of their club, like, oh, the holy club. But you know, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, you do you, John Wesley. Anyway, so all that to say, this club that meets, just like we have a group of people that meet and goes over these questions, this club used to teach the underprivileged and low-income poor families at Oxford and children. 
This holy club committed themselves to teaching students who did not have the same opportunities as others. How cool is that, huh? Gosh, all right. Well, so my question for you is, what is one action that God may be calling you to act on? There are a variety of ways that we've found opportunities in the life of this church for you to love the children in this community and globally. There's the Christmas shoe boxes that are available in the fellowship hall. We need drivers to help drive students to Garfield for their school functions. You could volunteer to help collect donations at the football games in November that go straight to helping with one of their greatest needs that they are facing this year. Or maybe you have some ideas in your own head of like, oh man, this is something I want to do. Or you feel like God is just like tapping on your shoulder. Like that is where the spirit wants me to be present to help children locally or globally. So what is one thing? So I want to invite you to spend some time in prayer and uh, ask God, what is that one thing that the Lord is asking you to do?